I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Where here we'll see an important thing about uh, instructions, the very thing that some men do not like, instructions. You get the manual and you can do it yourself, um, but sometimes you just need those darn instructions. And if you happen to miss a step or you don't pay as close attention Sometimes you end up doing the thing ten times over. Uh, recently I was building a playset for the kids, and these instructions said it would take eight hours, two people doing this thing. And it was me and my instructions, and I thought, oh, I can see what happens. Well, sometimes I'd be flipping through these instructions, and I wouldn't read it so carefully. I'd get about 15 steps later and have to undo all 15 steps because I put the board in the wrong way. When it said, pay careful attention to the holes, I was like, what? I didn't read that. I was, oh, this is the screw I need. Okay, so I just motored through, and I had to reverse my work about three times. I thought, I better start paying careful attention to these instructions. Instructions is what men normally don't like. Women love to give, right? But instructions are for an end goal. The instructions for my playset was to help me succeed in building the playset as it should be. The instructions that we have in all things, whether it's through your, uh, whether it's a recipe or whether it's map, you know, uh, instructions to get to a place, they're for our end goal of good. And so they are intended to get us there the best way possible. But what happens if we skip the instructions? Because we don't understand them or we, we don't have enough time to read them. We skip them and then we're, therefore we don't benefit as we should. Here we're going to see this morning in this text, there is instructions that were given to us, and the final product is hope. The final product is hope. If you ever wonder, how do I get hope? Where is the the path to hope in all such hopelessness? We get to hope, and that Romans 5 tells us, hope does not put us to shame when it's true hope, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Let's read together in Romans chapter 15. um, I'm going to read... Verses 1 through 4. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Hope, that hope which comes according to uh, verse 5 from the God of endurance and encouragement. But hope is the final goal, the final product of the instructions laid out here. It says in verse 4, where we'll look specifically today, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. It begins with the word for, and if you're a good Bible reader, you'll always pause and ask the word for or therefore. Why is it there? What is it pointing me to? It's saying like, since this has happened, therefore. So we look back. Look back to verse 3 is where it's drawing this for from. Verse 3 quotes the Old Testament when it's trying to show us that Christ did not please himself. It says for as it is written. It points back to Not the Gospel of Matthew, not Mark, not Luke, not John. Not showing the the account of his life, but it points back to even further. Psalm 69. And it says, look at this 
is telling us that Jesus did not please himself. This is telling us, anticipating for us who Jesus would be. The scriptures did that. It, because remember verse 3 was the, the reason and the example for our application of verse 1 and 2. about We are uh, obligated to bear with the failings of the weak. And secondly, we are obligated to not please ourselves, but to please our neighbor for their good. The reason? Because Christ didn't please himself. So you don't please yourself because Christ didn't please himself. Because the scripture tells us. And then verse 4 comes in and says, For, therefore, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. The four points us back to this quotation. But what's interesting is the next word. And in the ESV, it's whatever. For whatever was written in former days. Whatever. And that's interesting. Because if you think about the Bible and the Old Testament, what do you think are the parts that apply to you? Because here it's telling us whatever was written in the former days is for your instructions. So when there are meticulous details about the measurements of the temple, when there's meticulous details about where to place stones on the priest's ephod, when there is meticulous details about the washing and the cleansing and the going outside the camp and coming back after X amount of time, when there's all these meticulous details, that's included in the whatever. Whatever was written in the former days is for your instruction. How many times do we, when reading through that part of our Bible, skip over it or rush through it or not care to understand it or understand why it's for my instruction? How does it still apply to me? All these rules about ceremony and, and cleansing and what does it mean for me? Or is this part not important? All the genealogies in the Old Testament, all the groups and gatherings of the families, is that important for me? Well, whatever was written in the former days, genealogies, building plans, codes of holiness, whatever was written in the former days. It's interesting because 2 Timothy 3.16, a well-known verse, begins by saying all scripture is breathed out by God, all of it. And it goes on to talk about its usefulness. All of it, including those strange, sometimes skipped over portions, all of it is breathed out by God. So, does you think God wastes his breath? And, and that it was written down for us. God has spoken. It has been captured for us. Should we not listen? Should we not take time? And, and yes, you might not be able to apply the temple measurements to your own heart and your life when you maybe want to replicate a house no it's you're thinking about the meticulousness of god in the small details of a building and you think why is that so important and then you go to the new testament you fast forward and you realize what is the real and true temple it's us the temple where god would dwell and so you think if he was so meticulous about a temple made of materials how meticulous is he about me and so it's for our instruction to think about how meticulous he is Whatever was written, God spoke, so we hear him. All of Scripture was from God. 2 Peter uh, 1, 20 and 21 says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so, so many people today write off the Bible, right? Well, Paul wrote Romans, didn't he? 
Who's Paul? I don't like Paul. I don't like what Paul says. I write off Romans. Some people only want to read the words in red letters because that's what we know for sure Jesus said. Well, but who wrote those words there? Mark did. And Matthew did. And John did. God used men carried along by the Holy Spirit to write and to communicate his heart to us. And even the things about the details about how you trim your beard. Interesting what God has chosen to write down for us in former days. The usefulness of the Old Testament is sometimes thrown out. Right? Oftentimes we think we're New Testament Christians. That's where we maybe spend the bulk of our time reading, studying, praying, meditating, memorizing from is the New Testament. Because it seems most applicable to us. And it is, um, I, I think, easier for our instruction when a letter is written specifically to a church on how to act. Or specifically to Christians on, on what to do. And we know it applies to us. When the Old Testament is just harder work to get to that place of how does this impact my heart and my life and my love for the Lord. It's hard in the Old Testament, but it doesn't mean it's not useful. Like sometimes we end up thinking or we end up even just living that way. Like the Old Testament's not useful for me. Leviticus doesn't seem useful for me. Numbers, where's the application in numbers? And so we we don't think it's useful. Many people write it off as irrelevant. The Old Testament's not relevant at all. And so guess what? They don't go there. They don't listen. They don't read. They don't preach Old Testament. They don't, they still don't think it's relevant. But yet, when you know that whatever was written in the former days was for my instruction and eventually my hope, you're going to slow down and say, well, what's that whatever? And how is this instructing me? How is it to teach me? How is it relevant? It did not become irrelevant when the New Testament was written. It was not wiped out. God still preserved the Old Testament as relevant. So sometimes it's not like, oh, well, that rule still applies about you needing to leave the city when X, Y, or Z, when a a loved one dies and now you're unclean, you need to leave the city. That doesn't necessarily apply to you, but but what's the principle behind that? Why would that be a law? Why would that be so important, the purity of the place where you dwell? You know, these are the things we have to chew on and meditate on and the instructions. We have to interpret those a little uh, with a little more care Then we do the New Testament, which seems sometimes very plain for us. The Old Testament takes hard work. But if you know the end goal is hope, why would you not take the hard work to read every word? To understand every instruction that God has given to you. For whatever was written in former days, it says, was for our instruction. It was for our teaching. That's where I'll come back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Well-known verses. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. All of it is profitable. Leviticus is profitable. Numbers, profitable. Lamentations, all of it, not just the good stuff in the middle. All of Lamentations is profitable for what? It says in in 2 Timothy, for our teaching. It teaches us what to be like and what not to be like. It teaches us um, how God responds or or how we're to pray or how we're to lament or how we're to confess or how we are to fight for the faith. It's profitable for teaching, instructions, specific instructions on how to and how not to. 
Like, and, and I think we understand that, especially when we read the Old Testament, we look at the people of Israel, and we think, how could they have failed like that again and again? How could they have literally just seen the manifestation of the glory of God and walked away and worshipped an idol? How could they have done that? Well, that's for our instruction. It's written down for our instructions because we do the exact same thing. We see the manifestation of God's glory in our lives, and we still choose to sin. We do. And, and so... What are we supposed to get from gleaning the Old Testament? We get to see their whole story. We get to see their failures and, and, and God restoring them. We get to see it all, and it's for our instruction to say, I'm not doing that. Israel did that, and it's written down for me so that I wouldn't do the same darn thing. It's written for our instruction, for our teaching. And Second uh, Timothy also says it's for our reproof, for our correction, for, for showing us where we're wrong, where we've crossed the boundary, where something does not please God is for our correction and it's for training in righteousness. If we want to be holy, the only way we're going to know how to be holy is by taking in this entire word from God. He says, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, may be mature and equipped for every good work. We want to do good works according to Matthew because if we let our, our light shine before all men, who gets the glory? God. We do good works so that others may see the God who is our Father and glorify Him who is in heaven. We want those good works to be done so that God gets the glory, not so that we somehow get a pat on the back from God or anyone else for that matter. We know we are accepted by God by grace through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our good works are not for our acceptance, but it is a means of gratitude and a means of uh, a testimony building and witness building so that when we do share the gospel of the Lord, there's a, there's a testimony behind that. People can look to us and say, I've seen God transform you. And so the scripture was written for our instruction. It gives us the steps, but imagine if you just skip one part because it's hard or you just read over it really quick because you don't think it applies. When the New Testament you know how often it refers back to the Old Testament? Jesus quotes the Old Testament so often. Paul, Paul didn't need to, here in, in Romans 15, he did not need to point to the Old Testament. He didn't need to do that. Well, why did he do it? Again, maybe to refresh them of the usefulness and the relevance of it. Or to show, look, it, it, it came true. Remember, trust that word to it, it, come, it has come true. It's also for our instruction. It's for our instruction so that we may know what is good, what is right, what pleases God. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that, so that, through endurance, through endurance, patiently waiting with endurance. What does Psalm 46.10 say? But be still and know that I am God. To be still, you need to be patient. You can't be still for a split second and, and know that he is God. To be still and know that he is God is to be quiet, patient, listening. Through endurance, patience. Think about the, the quality of something that is rushed. Think about the quality of woodwork or a home that is rushed by a contractor. It's garbage. Think about the quality of a recipe that has been rushed. Your, your meat's not cooked. Think about the quality of life when it is rushed. You don't enjoy anything. 
Imagine if you just didn't have the time for stuff and you were impatient all the time and, and you didn't have the time to fill up your car you know, with gas. You thought, 30 seconds, that's it. I don't have time for this. Hang it back up. What are you going to do? You're going to fill up 10 times a day. Literally, if you don't think you have the time for things, if you don't think you need to endure standing there for whatever it's going to take to fill the thing up, you're going to end up stumbling and not having much success in the day. It takes endurance and patience. It takes waiting and trusting. Consider the Old Testament characters like Abraham. A promise given to him that he would have countless children. The waiting and the waiting and the waiting that Abraham had in faith, trusting that God would fulfill his promise. Or Joseph, think of all that he endured all that he endured from childhood, all that Joseph endured, being beaten by his own brothers, sold into slavery, having to work his way up to eventually be wrongly accused to send himself into jail, spend time there, then finally getting back out and then working himself back up. And then the process of storing up food, all of this waiting, but in the process, finally got to see the purpose of the waiting. He even said it himself to his brothers, right? You meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. This whole process of slow, simmering, waiting, enduring all hardship was God's great purpose. There's enduring, and it produces a purpose. It produces a hope. Amazing thing. Romans chapter 11, you know it. It's the... um, the faith hall of fame, so they call it. All these people listed, the people of faith that we know in the Old Testament. You think you can read through and go, yes, yes, I see that. But how Romans chapter, or sorry, uh, Hebrews chapter eleven ends is amazing. Oh, this this whole hall of fame of faith, these, these great examples of faithful people. And here's what it says at the very end, uh, Hebrews eleven thirty nine. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Oh, this entire faith chapter, you think they are faithful people because they got what God promised? No. They're not faithful because they they got even a taste of what God had promised. No, it says, all of these, they were commended through their faith. They did not receive what was promised. They didn't get to see the fulfillment or the full fulfillment of the promise made to them. But yet, they had hope. Yet, they had faith. And they are the pillars of faith. They are the examples of faith that even when it's not Fulfilled. Even when you don't get to see the whole picture, you can have faith. They are great examples of those who had faith and endured. And that endurance, that, I think the process of endurance for them produced that hope. The, the expectation that God was at work and God keeps his promises, that built up hope. And that's why here it says in our verse in verse 4, the scripture was written for our instruction so that through endurance, as we endure the, the ins and the outs, the promises, the, the confusion, the interpretation, as we endure, if we endure through life, what comes next? Through the encouragement of the scriptures as well. The encouragement of the scriptures. Has there ever been a time where you're so discouraged and someone gives you a, a Bible verse? Or you happen to read in the word and your soul is just lifted? It's encouraging in and of itself. Why is it encouraging? Well, because it gives us ground sometimes, you know? When things maybe don't seem like there's any ground to stand on or any, any, any truth to grab onto or any circumstance that seems okay and, and understandable, it gives us grounding. It gives us hope because it points us somewhere. It points us to God. 
points us to his purpose, his promise. I love David when he's downcast. What does he say? In Psalm 42, 5 and 6, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I, again sh- for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Well, who is God? You know him from the word. Hope in God. If you didn't know who God was, if God hadn't written down for you who he was, imagine that. If, if currently, today, there had not been a record of the scriptures for a thousand years at least, and what we had was creation, hope in God. And that's, God was maybe, if you could somehow get there in your mind, the, the one who maybe created the, the tree? Or the, like, and that's, that's all you have to hope in? Is a creator? Well, that, that is good, and that's a great foundation, but it's much more than that. And so much more richness to God. And so we're so thankful for the scriptures. So when David says, hope in God, he had, he had seen God face to face. He had witnessed God. But sometimes, for us, the only way we're going to see who God is, his character, his heart, is through his word. We get encouragement and comfort from the word in the promises of the word. Right? The promises that if you confess your sins, he will forgive you. He's faithful and just to do that. And he'll cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. We have the word to have us hope. We have hope in the promises. We have hope in the character of God. Knowing that even though he has a hatred for sin, he also has a love and a mercy for his children. Again and again, we see the character of God on display in all of its fullness. That, that God's love sometimes includes God's discipline. And we know his character. And that gives us hope. It gives us hope when we feel the chastisement of the Lord. We feel conviction. We feel heavy under our sin. We have hope that this is God drawing us up out of a pit. We have hope and encouragement from the scriptures because the, the failures we see, but yet we see restoration. We see the forgiveness granted. We see hope being had. That's what encourages us in the scriptures. So that's why here it says, whatever was written in former days was for our instructions that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. Hope that does not disappoint. Romans chapter 5, I quoted a little bit of it earlier. Romans 5, 2 to 5 says this about our hope. Through him... We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that our sufferings produce endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We rejoice in hope, the hope of the glory of God. But more than that, it says, in our sufferings, because they produce endurance. When you suffer, you will endure by faith. And what does endurance produce? Well, it produces character. And then what does a character produce? It says here, hope. And since our hope is in the love of God towards us, that no matter what circumstance we're in, we do have hope, comfort, encouragement, and endurance. We have hope because of all that God is for us, all that God is to us. 
And what's amazing at the end of there, that verse I read in Romans chapter 5 is it says, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. That spirit solidifies our hope. Not as people who are constantly trusting in riches or trusting in wealth or, or sorry, or health or our own holiness even. Instead, we trust in his being and his being for us and not against us. Him never leaving us or forsaking us. The Holy Spirit is in us and encourages us in hope when we are hopeless. He helps us to endure. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us see through the fog of life, to see through the the sinfulness of our own heart to the, the hope that there is forgiveness in God. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us, tells us when we're wrong. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us who God is and what He is like. The Holy Spirit in us, a promise, a seal until the day of redemption. Man, without the Holy Spirit, I would be truly lost. I would never have hope. Because I'd read texts and be like, that's not for me, that's not for me, that's not for me. But instead the Holy Spirit says, yes and amen it is. I am with you until the end of the age, Jesus says. He said that. And how is He with us? He's with us. In the person of the Holy Spirit. Day in, day out. You have God with you. The hope of glory. This is where we get hope. And this is the way we get hope. The final goal is hope. Well, it says it's through the instruction of the scriptures. So what do we do? Well, we read the scriptures. Read all of them. Read the Bible. That's why I encourage reading the Bible once through yearly or every two years. Read it through. It takes less than 15 minutes a day to read through the entire Bible. Read it because this is where our instructions are. And and don't skip over the parts you don't like or don't understand or you think don't apply to you. Read all of this instructions. Because if you know that that hope is the the goal, that hope is what is produced, then you're going to read the instructions carefully even if it seems like craziness when you're reading all of the genealogies or all of the measurements or when you read kings and then you read chronicles right away you think i just read all of that i'm just gonna flip i'm gonna fly through chronicles here he don't fly all those stories are repeated for a reason why like why would god have written down kings and chronicles when a lot of it seems to be exactly the same it's for your instruction have you slowed down to pay attention why Remember, repetition in the scriptures is really important. Well, why are like humongous portions of scripture repeated? Why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all accounting the life of Jesus? Repetition is important. Are you reading it for all it's worth? And are you meditating upon this instructions? Meditating, chewing it out, saying, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about me and my sinfulness? What does this teach me about my neighbor and their inclinations? What does it teach me about faith? How to have it? Where to place it? What does that look like in daily situation? You meditate upon the scriptures. You pull out. Meditating is like chewing on that piece of steak and getting every ounce of deliciousness out. And it's, it's about our bodies taking the food and drawing out the nutrients through time. That's what meditating on the scripture is. is drawing out page by page. 
a good way to do this maybe sometimes is if you think, well, how, I, how can I read through the whole Bible and meditate and do all these other things? If you even in your, if you read four chapters a day, you pulled out one verse or one phrase or one paragraph and you just slowed down and said, I'm going to take an extra five minutes just on this. this. This really stood out to me or this is confusing to me or I really think this points to who God is. Spend an extra five minutes on a sentence, on a word, and ask as many questions of that as you can. What does it teach me about all of these things? To meditate upon it, to don't just see words on a page like it's a newspaper, but internalize it by meditating. Memorize it. And not just the easy parts of the coffee cup verses from the New Testament. Memorize hard portions of the Old Testament. Portions that maybe um, are, are maybe David lamenting. Because there's going to be times in your life where you need to lament. That is, you crying out independence to God. Have you, have you a biblical foundation for that? Is it written on your heart when you don't have your Bible present? Memorize. Obey the scriptures. Jesus says, this is how I know who my disciples are. The ones who hear my word and keep it. Part of being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is obeying. And that, amazingly, that begins at conversion. Jesus calls us to repent and believe the gospel. The first act of obedience for us is repenting and believing the gospel. Repenting from our own sinfulness, our own self-righteousness. Whatever we had in life as our hope and our trust and our treasure, we repent of it. We, we flee from it and we turn to Christ for forgiveness. And the amazing thing is he, he grants it to us. The joy of coming to Christ with, from a life of chains and burdens to freedom is our first act of obedience. To obey him is to be his disciple. And we do it not just once when we've come because maybe we're overridden with guilt or we see the, the fires of hell, but we do it daily because we want to be like him. So we need to obey him. We need to be repenting and believing the gospel every day. Do you believe that he loves you? Not because of who you are or what you've done, but do you believe he loves you completely because he does? Do you believe the gospel? Because that Jesus commands us to believe that gospel. Do you believe the gospel? Obey the gospel. Obey the scriptures. And then share the scriptures. A way we're going to be instructed and we're going to move towards hope through endurance, through encouragement, is by sharing. Share the scriptures with brothers and sisters in Christ. Share the scriptures with your family. Share the scriptures with your neighbors. It doesn't mean that you necessarily need to sit down and say, all right, you need to listen to me as I read uh, Lamentations to you. Share the scriptures, though. What has impressed you? What has confused you? What has encouraged you? What has convicted you? Share the scriptures. You know, it would be an amazing thing for an unbeliever to hear you say, this has convicted me. Can I read this for you? This pierced my heart. This hurt me. Can I read it for you? And I'm going to tell you why it hurt me, because I've been living in sin this way, or I'm tempted in this way. People need to hear that. Because, you know, often, you know, people will accuse Christians of trying to be goody-two-shoes or hypocrites because they think they're all great. If you could read the scriptures with them and say, this text cut my heart in two because that's not me and it should be. Oh, how genuine that would be and how beneficial it would be. That's how we move towards hope because then we're, oh, they're hearing me out. That's going to produce more hope in me to go, I know the scripture produces uh, good and I know it produces fruit. 
So we read it, meditate on it, memorize it, obey it, share it. We do it because it's for hope. It's all about God. And what God has done and what he's doing in me and what he's doing in this world and what he's doing in the end. He'll receive all honor and glory from the first to the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And in all of who he is, he deserves the glory. From the beginning of our life to the end of it, he deserves the glory. And and as we glorify him, our hope increases. Because our hope is, again, not found in the circumstance changing. Not found in a better health diagnosis. Not found in a full bank account. Our hope is in him. And the more we know him, the more we are close to him, the more we will hope in him. So that's why this text says, whatever, whatever was written in the former days was for our instruction. Through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And then verse 5 goes in and says, may the God of endurance and encouragement. So you thought that you had to do all that? You thought that you had to uh, endure by yourself and by your own strength? You thought that you had to encourage yourself? No. Verse 5 tells us this is God. This is who he is, what he is like. He is the God of endurance and encouragement. He will grant you to live in harmony with one another, encouraging one another in the scriptures so that together you may glorify him together. Let's pray. Father, what we do want is hope. There's not a person that walks this planet that would say they don't want to have hope. But too often, oh God, we pursue hope in all the wrong places. Help us to look to you. Help us to have your scriptures as the instruction of our life, that we would read them carefully so that we may know how to actually have genuine, true, and lasting hope. Even if we never see a promise fulfilled for us, we can have hope because it's you who makes the promise. And we trust and we we grow in contentment and encouragement. Help us, we pray, to hope in you through your scriptures. In Christ's name we pray.